Today we conclude our series on emotions, and so far we've covered a lot of different topics. We've talked about anger, love, hurt, hopelessness, anxiety, and today I want to talk about something I know all too well. It's an old enemy of mine called pride. Not the pride that makes us proud or happy of our kids or our grandkids or our companies or our accomplishments. That's healthy. That's good. On the contrary, though, there's a different type of pride, a pride that's a spiritual cancer. It's what I consider to be the root of all evil. Now, this negative emotion of pride, it damages our relationships with others because it thinks we're better than everybody else. It also damages our relationship with God because it thinks, makes us think that we don't need him. Pride swells us up and it makes us so big that there's no room to be in relationship with anyone. It keeps us from admitting what we need to admit and apologizing when we know that we're wrong. And if our pride goes unchecked, we will end up sad and alone. And nobody wants to be sad and alone, do they? No. So we got to watch out for our pride. Therefore, we're going to look at how this emotion of pride affects a very specific group of people. And I call them the three P people, the three P people. And that stands for prestige, power, and possessions. Say that with me. Prestige, power, and possessions. So our goal this morning is to define what these three areas are, what that looks like, and then we're going to uh, dive into an Old Testament king who was a 3P person, and from his life, from his mistakes, we're going to learn a couple different things that we can apply so that we can combat this negative emotion of pride. So if you've got your outlines, you want to jot this down, follow along with me. What is prestige? Prestige means that you have widespread respect and influence. You have widespread respect and influence. Typically, you have a status in society because of your achievements, but it can also come from a variety of different sources. You may not be the richest person in the room, but you are the smartest. Everybody turns to you when a decision needs to be made. You're the one that people ask for advice. If you're a prestigious person, then you've either accomplished something great or maybe you're related to someone who's accomplished something great. In my mind, I think of like John Rockefeller, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey. They would be very prestigious people. Now, someone with power is someone who's simply in charge. They're in charge. You're hovering at the top of that totem pole. When you walk in the room, people pay attention because you're the boss. You cut the checks. You assign the bonuses. To be that in that position of power means that you're the top dog, the department director, you own the company, you sit on the board, you have the corner office. People are always more careful around you because you ultimately have the final say. The buck stops with you if you're that person in power. And lastly is possessions. Possessions means you have resources, lots of them. Some people are resourced because you just worked hard and you earned it. You earned what you've got. Others are resourced because maybe you happen to be born into the right family. Or maybe you married into a family that had lots of resources. People with resources are often considered wealthy. So that's the three P's. Power, prestige, possessions. And you might be thinking to yourself, Whew, okay, 
it's a memorial holiday. I didn't really want to come to church today. And Eric's talking about something that does not even apply to me because I'm not powerful, I'm not prestigious, and I don't have a lot of possessions. Well, before you check out, before you think about what lunch is going to be, I want to let you in on a little secret. Every single person in this room is a 3P person. Every one of us. We all have a level of prestige, power, and possessions that most of the world do not have. And we don't even recognize that we have it. Just listen to some of these global poverty st statistics from Compassion International. I was doing some research and here's what I found out. More than 736 million people worldwide live below the extreme poverty line and make less than $1.90 a day. 736 million people make less than $1.90 a day. And I thought, well, okay, what's half the world? What do half the world make? Half of the world makes less than $6 a day, just about $2,000 a year. That's what they live off of. Two billion people do not have basic sanitation services in their home which means two billion people do not have a toilet, they do not have a sink, they do not have running water in the location that they live. 773 million people in the world today can't read. They've not been afforded the luxury of somebody sitting down and teaching them how to read. 264 million children and teens globally are not currently attending school because they're forced to work. They're forced to go out and make money. One out of every 27 children born will die before the age of five because of malnutrition and other preventable causes. One out of 27 children born will die before they're five. And then the last thing that just totally surprised me, approximately 810 women die every day from preventable diseases or causes related to pregnancy and childbirth. Friends, that's the reality of the world that we live in. But we often miss that reality because of where we live. Now I look, I know school can be sometimes boring and our kids have a week and a half left. Most kids are already out of school, but they start a little bit later this year uh, in Highland and they're ready to check out. They're, they're done with school, right? I know school can be boring. I know that our jobs can sometimes be tiring and difficult. I know that traffic is annoying, especially when they're doing something like a parade here in Medina Square and you get stuck in the traffic. I know that uh, inflation is frustrating, but think about the alternative. Think about everything I just shared, all the facts and figures that take place everywhere else except right here where we live. It's fair to say, given that knowledge, that you and I are extremely blessed to live in this country of America with freedoms that other people don't have, with the, uh, the ability to educate ourselves and to read and to go to school and to learn. And these are freedoms that in part we have due to the over 1.2 million men and women who have given their lives in service to this country in the last 247 years. I know we talked about it, but that's what this weekend is all about, Memorial Weekend. So we have our freedoms in part thanks to them. Now, sometimes those freedoms and luxuries are as simple as clean water, healthy food, warm clothes, and a roof over our heads. 
those are things that half the world's population does not have. And because we have them, that makes you and I 3P people. We all have this level of prestige, power, and possessions that most do not. So what do we do about that? Therefore, because we are 3P people, that also means that you and I are prone to this negative emotion of pride. Pride that puffs us up and makes us think that we're better than everybody else. Pride that makes us forget how good we have it. So what can we do about this? How can we combat this? Well, to help us find that answer, we're going to look at an Old Testament book called Daniel. So if you want to turn there with me now, that would be great. Daniel, it is after Ezekiel and before Hosea, or you can follow along uh, on the screen. Now, I'm going to do my best to summarize the first four chapters. That's a lot. I don't think I could read the first four chapters in the remaining time we've got. So I'm just going to summarize it for you. But I do encourage you in your devotion time this week, go back and reread it for yourself. Read one through four because that's where we're going to be at today. So you can get the full picture. Now, although the title of this book is Daniel, we're really going to talk about the king. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Now that's kind of difficult to say. So I kind of gave him a nickname because it's easy for us to remember. So we're going to call him King Nebi. Okay. Can y'all say that with me? King, King Nebi. One more time. King, King Nebi. So that's who we're going to talk about today. King Nebi was the greatest king in Babylon. His reign lasted 42 years. He had prestige, power, and possessions that nobody that we know of could touch. Jeff Bezos doesn't have what uh, he had, King Nebi did. His kingdom was the largest in the ancient world at that time. One of his first major victories was capturing the Israelites, God's chosen people, in 602 BC. And that's where Daniel comes into play. You see, King Nebi was smart, he was very intelligent. He gathered all the best and the brightest from the Israelites that he had just captured, and he brought them into the palace to serve underneath them as either guards or as uh, wise men. Daniel was one of those selected, but also his three best friends. You may have heard of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's all Daniel chapter 1. That's the summary. So hear about Daniel chapter 2. King Nebi begins to have some crazy dreams. And so he pulls together all of his wise men, all of his seers, all of his magicians, all of these smart people. He gets them together and he says, look, I've had a dream that confuses me and I want you to tell me what it means. But I know you always kind of blow smoke at me and you make up this stuff. So instead of me telling you what I dreamt and then you interpreting it, I want you to tell me both. I want you to tell me both. Listen to this. Daniel chapter 2 verse 5. King says, if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. He wasn't messing around. Like King Nebi was not a funny guy. He was serious about this. And all of his smart guys go, what? Are you serious? There's nobody on this earth that could do what you want them to do. We're going to die. We're all going to die. That's what they're thinking to themselves. And then Daniel steps in. He says, hold on, hold on. King, give me one day and I will tell you everything. And sure enough, God reveals the mystery to Daniel, who in turn tells the king. And Nebi is so overjoyed. He's so blown away and he makes a commitment that day to make the God of Israel the only God that can be worshiped. 
Here's what he says in Daniel 2, 47. King Nebi said, surely your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. That's great news, right? He came to worship God, the God that we worship. That's great news until you get to Daniel chapter 3. A few years go by and we find out that King Nebi has short-term memory loss. He forgets his commitment. Nebi experiences this emotion of pride. It continues to build and build and build because he has all these guys and girls around him that are just telling him all this stuff and, and uh, making his brain go so big, his head gets so big, that he decides to build this 90-foot tall statue made out of solid gold in the image of himself. And he said, look, everybody in my uh, kingdom must bow down and worship this 90-foot statue, or else you're going to get thrown into this big old fiery furnace that I've got built. Now, for some reason, we don't know why, Daniel exited his own book. He's nowhere to be found in Daniel chapter 3. Maybe he was on vacation out of, outside of Babylon. We don't know. But we do know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were still in town, and they refused to bow down and worship. So King Nebi hears about this, He's furious. He has his men heat up that furnace seven times hotter than normal. It actually incinerates the guys who are standing there, adding heat to it. And so he brings them in. He brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throws them in the fire, and he's standing there. He wants to watch them burn because he's so mad. But you know the story. They don't burn up. In fact, there's not just three people in the fire. There's a fourth. And so he calls them out immediately. And then he says this. This is Daniel 3, 28 and 29. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. So yeah, he's still violent. He's still violent, but at least now he's back on God's side, right? He had a little uh, time of reprieve where he was away from God. Now he's back on God's side. And as I think about that, what hit me was you and I are very similar to King Nebi in this regard. It's so easy for us to have an on-again, off-again relationship with our Savior, isn't it? So easy for us to, to be close and then to kind of drift away and then to come back and then to kind of drift away. When we see God show up in a powerful way in our lives, when, he see, when we see him save us or rescue us or prevent us from doing something disastrous, what happens? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I am all yours. I am your servant, right? We give God all the glory and we're right by his side and we're telling other people about what he's done and how he's rescued us and how he saved us for a little while until that moment kind of goes in the past. And then we start to build some success we start to gain some ground at work. We start to accumulate some more things. We often look in the mirror at those times and we think, hmm, I'm doing pretty well for myself. 
and we just kind of go back to that off-again relationship with our Savior. Listen to me. When pride slips in, our faith weakens because we give ourselves glory instead of giving glory to God. That's what happens time and time again. I've seen it in my own life. When pride seeks in, slips in, our faith weakens because we give ourselves glory instead of giving the glory and the credit to God. That's what happened to King Nebi. He was the most powerful man in the ancient world. He was surrounded by people that filled his ego, telling him that he was like a God, and he believed their baloney. He fell for their faulty praise, and he gave in to this negative emotion of pride. Now let's jump to Daniel chapter 4. This account takes place 25 years after he's already, uh, after this fiery furnace ordeal, where he's back to God and he says, anybody worships anybody other than God, I'm going to cut them into pieces. So 25 years later, King Nebi has a different dream that terrifies him. He dreams about this huge, beautiful tree that gets chopped down so that only the stump is left. And in the dream, there are voices that are telling him this. Verse, Daniel 4, 17. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. Can you guys read that verse with me, please? The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. Now that's an important verse that you'll hear come up again. Nobody can interpret this dream except, of course, who? Daniel. Daniel, can, he can interpret it. So the king tells Daniel about this dream, and Daniel's face just goes white. And he tells this interpretation. This is verse 19, 22, and 25. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, your majesty, you are that tree. This is the interpretation, your majesty. This is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, meaning seven years, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone that he wishes. There's that phrase again. Then Daniel, he begs King Nebi to repent of his sin so that he doesn't have to endure about uh, what's about to take place. But the king, he ignores him. He disregards the advice. And in the very next sentence, we read that all of this comes to fruition one year later. Exactly 12 months later, everything that was told in the dream came true. And as I read that, I thought about how much time the king had. He was given a whole year to change, a whole year to address the ugly pride that was inside of him. He had an opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent, to show humility, to get right with God, but he didn't budge. In fact, he went even further in the other direction. And that begs the question for us today. What's it going to take for you to humble yourself before you get humbled? 
What's it going to take for you to humble yourself before you get humble? Because I can promise you, you do not want to be humbled by God. You want to humble yourself before that takes place. One day, the pride you have because of prestige, power, and possessions, it's going to creep in. And when that happens, will you be able to recognize it for what it is? Will you be able to call it out? Will you be able to resist it and rebuke it? Or will you give in as the king did? Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 23, verse 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, friends, it's imperative that we do everything in our power while we still have the time to resist self-praise and adoration. Unfortunately, the king didn't. He waited too long. Twelve months Later, as the king was walking on the roof of his palace, as he is observing his entire kingdom, these are the words that come out of his mouth in Daniel 4, verse 30. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And immediately, what had been said about the king one year earlier was fulfilled. For seven years, King Nebi was isolated, walking on all fours like a cow, naked in the woods, eating grass. For seven years, he lived as a wild animal. And I know that sounds far-fetched, but it's true. In fact, there's a medical condition that describes exactly what King Nebi experienced. It's called boanthropy. Anybody heard of it? Boanthropy. Google it today. I want you to Google it later. This is the first account that we've ever seen of this, but there's been documented cases of people who do the exact same thing that we read that took place in Daniel chapter 4. People who go out, they walk on all fours, they think that they're an ox or a cow, they eat grass, they're naked, and they do this until they snap back into reality. For King Nebi, it took seven years. It's kind of like, uh, it's been described as like a mental illness such as schizophrenia. People just kind of lose their mind and they, they live this way. Now, King Nebi lived this way for seven years until he was 100% completely humbled. And this is how that story ends, verses 34 and 37. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and I glorified him who lives forever. Now I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Can you read that last sentence with me, please? And those who walk in And as far as the Bible goes... Those are the last words we ever hear from King Nebi. He's never mentioned again. He'd finally learned his lesson, and he'd let go of his pride once and for all. So now that we know what the first four chapters of Daniel about, did you learn something there? Hopefully. All right, good. Now that you know the first four chapters of Daniel, what do we do with it? What do we do with this information? 
Well, I just want to quickly share two important lessons we can learn, two action items that we can put into practice today that will help us combat this negative form of pride. And the first is this, prestige, power, and possessions are temporary. They're temporary, so use them wisely. As 3P people, we have to remember that nothing lasts forever. Jesus teaches us this truth in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. He writes, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven, in heaven. No matter what you have, no matter how much you have, no matter where you have it, it can be gone like that in an instant. And when you really think about it, it's not even our stuff to begin with. Everything. Everything we think we've earned, everything we think we've got, it is actually all God's. We are just the managers of his stuff, of what he provides. So it's our responsibility to use it wisely, not to hoard it, not to flaunt it, not to waste it. And I just want to pause right here and commend you, Northside family, for doing such an excellent, excellent job at this. I'm blown away by how intentionally generous you are as a church. Not only do you give consistently with your tithes and offerings, which goes so far, they allow us to meet in a building like this. Aren't you glad we're not hopping from park to park to park anymore? Amen, yes, right? That's partly what your tithes and offerings go to help us do, to meet in a building like this. They go to help uh, hire great staff. I know Jeff mentioned we just hired Natalie, right over here who's singing uh, on stage today for the kids. And then uh, Brady, he's back there somewhere. I think he's teaching the middle schoolers right now. Like, I'm so excited. We are all so excited to have them part of the team. But also your tithes and offerings go to help us do amazing events for the community. And we've got one coming up called Day Camp. Uh, it's our for rising kindergarten through sixth graders. It's going to be the best week ever. My wife Bree is in charge of that. And we've already got 295 kids registered where our goal is 450. So we're going to keep climbing. But I want to share this really cool thing with you. Um, two weeks ago, Bree was talking with some other staff members and they came up with the idea that we have all these supplies we needed to make this camp happen, to pull it off. And somebody said, well, hey, why don't you just make an Amazon wish list? And we'd never done that before. Anybody on staff, we'd never done that. So Bree took the time. She put all this stuff in an Amazon wish list. It totaled $4,000 worth of supplies that we need to make camp happen. And we just kind of went into it with the idea, well, maybe we'll get $1,000 and that will help a little bit so that we don't have to spend it out of the budget. But don't you know, 12 days after she hit send and put it online, every single item was purchased. All $4,000 was completely covered because of you and your generosity and people in the community who heard about camp. They want to send their kids to a place where we're going to teach them about Jesus in a fun way and we're going to show them what it means to make a splash for him. That's the theme. So it's super exciting, very, very encouraging. But you know what? Northside, you're not just generous with your tithes and offerings. You're also very generous with your 
time, and your talents. Just this month, we just finished wrapping up our Compassion Service Projects, and it was awesome. Once again, another fantastic year. This month, over 250 of you volunteered doing 20 different projects that went to directly help 1,900 people in our community, 1,900 people surrounding us. We've got a recap video. I want you to watch this and see a few things we did. Can we just give God a praise for what y'all have done in the community? That's awesome. And, you know, that doesn't stop now that the month is over. We're going to continue being the hands, the feet, and the mouth of Jesus every single week. So let me end with this point. The second thing we can do is to be grateful and generous with all resources because we will be held accountable. We'll be held accountable. There's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And whether we want to on that day, it will happen. And Jesus, the ultimate judge, he's going to look back at everything he's given us, our time, our talents, our treasures, and he is going to judge us based off of how we use those resources. How do I know that? Because the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. So when you get that big check, when you get that promotion, when you get that diploma, when you get that invitation, when you get that award, when you get that trophy, when you drive up to your house or walk to your office, when those thoughts creep in, when you look in the mirror and think, oh, I've made it, I've arrived, I'm the man, I'm the woman. When your pride rises up and reaches for control in your life because now you're somebody, I want you to beat it back down and say, no, not today, pride. I will choose to give God the glory for everything because I am accountable to what he has blessed me with. And if you're able to do that, on judgment day, Jesus is going to look at you and say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. So if you've got a decision for Jesus that you need to make, I want to invite you to come now. We're going to stand and we're going to sing.